if you remember, back in chapter 16 and 17, we spoke about meditating in order to generate various emotions for Hashem. Uh, most specifically, love and awe, those being the two main stays of emotion and all other emotions being offshoots or derivatives of those two. And we had a couple of chapters about the importance of meditating in order to generate love and awe of Hashem. But, but we didn't really speak about how to do it. We didn't really speak about what to, we didn't speak specifically about what to meditate on. Um, if you remember, what happened is after we spoke about the idea sort of cursorily in 16 and 17, then we went right on to a new topic, 18 to 25, where we spoke about arousing the innate or latent emotions that are uh, instinctive to the godly soul. Uh, and, and I mentioned the reason for that earlier, which was that um, we want to have this method outlined in 18 to 25 as soon as possible because it's really it's our backup method. So the Alta Rebbe doesn't string us along without giving us that uh, ability. However, it's really it's it really important at this point to go back, so to speak and talk more in depth about what it means to meditate and to create emotions. So 41 through 50. All right, we're talking about 10 chapters. Yeah, the microphone's on. Yeah. 41 through 50 are all chapters about meditating in order to create love and awe. Why so many chapters? You know, they say, I don't know if it's really true or if it's been debunked, but it's one of those things they say, so it has value nonetheless, that the Eskimos have 14 words for snow. I don't know if it's 14, but if it's made up, it doesn't matter what number it is anyway. By the way, this is the concept of linguistic relativism and determinism. That cultures have more words for that which they value, and they have more value for that for which they have words. In Chassidus, we have a lot of different technical terms for emotions, specifically emotions directed toward God. So there's not just one flavor of love and one flavor of awe. It's not vanilla. It's French vanilla. No, it's not French vanilla. It's vanilla fudge. What's the difference? They're all vanilla. No, they're not all vanilla. If you're a connoisseur. Chassidus develops within us a sophistication in regards to emotions, specifically emotions for God. So there are many different types of love and many different types of awe. 
I would also use the word levels, types and levels. Bechinais umedregois, to use the Hebrew. And that implies qualitative and quantitative differences. Different types are different qualities. Different levels are different quantities or intensities. And they're all different types and levels of love and all different types and levels of awe. And they are all generated by different meditations. That is what gives rise to the different emotions, the different meditations. And that should come, to, come as no surprise to us, because, like I said, we spoke about this in 16 and 17, although we did not specify what these meditations were. And, in fact, it's even more fundamental than that, meaning it goes back even further toward the beginning of Tanya than 16 and 17, that right there in chapter 3, we spoke about father and mother of intellect, being Chochma and Bina, you know, the innovation and then the elaboration, and then how they join together through Das, intense focus, to generate emotions who are their children. Remember this all from chapter 3, if you were here. So now, in 41 through 50, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of these different emotions and the different meditative processes through which the different emotions are generated. So chapter 41. Chapter 41 begins by prioritizing between love and awe. All emotions are either love or awe. The question is, which one is of higher priority, love or awe? It's an interesting concept. Why? Because we know, we know from the beginning of chapter 4, that love is primarily expressed by what you do, and awe is primarily expressed by what you don't do. We spoke about this in, in the beginning of chapter 4, that the mitzvah's essay, the positive commandments, are an expression of ahava, of love. And the mitzvah's lesa say, the negative prohibitions, are an expression of yira, of awe. And nevertheless, says the Alter Rebbe here in chapter 41, even when it comes to doing, which is primarily an expression of love, doing must also be 
founded upon a modicum of respect. I'm using the word respect as an accessible translation for Yira. The reason being that awe sometimes comes across as way too intense. And as we said, there are levels of love and levels of awe. So perhaps in its full-fledged or most intense version, awe is awe. But on a more basic level, we might just call it respect. What's the difference between love and respect? So as we said, love is generally expressed through doing, and respect is generally expressed through not doing. Why is that? Because love is a desire to get closer to the beloved. Love, therefore, spurs on action. I want to move toward the beloved. I want to do something. I want to give something. And awe, or respect, is the exact opposite. That is, I want to get out of the way so that I don't impinge upon the one who I respect. So whereas love leads to self-expression, respect leads to self-containment. Respect is not covered. Let us be very clear when we use this English word respect. Respect doesn't mean honor. Covered is honor. Honor is a positive thing, like it says, honor your parents. How do you honor them? You honor them proactively by bringing them food and drink, for example, by attending to them, waiting on them, being their valet. But there's another mitzvah, if we'll continue the example of, of parents, which is Yira. It says, respect your parents. In fact, it's interesting. When it says to give covet to your parents, it says the father first and then the mother. When it says to respect them, it says the mother and then the father. The Torah flips that which is natural in order to um, force us to compensate for that which is the usual weakness. A person naturally honors, you know, a waits on and tends to his mother more than his father and naturally respects his father more than his mother. So Torah flips it and uh, puts the emphasis on the one that requires more of a concerted effort. At any rate, the point is, we're not talking about honor. Covid is honor. This is yira, this is respect. This is not proactive. This is staying out of the way. In fact, if you're honoring someone who you respect, it's often a juggling act because you want to bestow honor, but you also don't want to cramp their style. So you are 
tending to them and making yourself as inconspicuous as possible at the same time. That is respect. Respect means I don't want to be in your way. Respect means I'm going to make myself smaller for you. Which is really the opposite of love. I'm going to make myself bigger for you. B bigger in the sense of largesse or magnanimity, where you are doing something generous. The nature of chesed is hispashtus, is spreading out. That's why, for instance, when we say the spherois in davening by Kriya Sotoido, and we remove the, the Torah from the Ark, and we say, We go through the spherois in order. We refer to chesed as gedula. To you, Hashem, is the greatness. We don't say chesed. We say the rest of the spherois as they are uh, through hoid. But for chesed, we say gdula. And the reason being is that gdula is a byword for chesed. Greatness and kindness are, are the same thing, in, in as much as that kindness sort of radiates outward and moves one to expand his influence. Gvura is the exact opposite of chesed. And like chesed is related to ava, love, gvura is related to yira, awe, or respect. Gvura is the opposite in that instead of reaching out to make contact with the beloved, gvura's thrust is inward that I should make myself as unobtrusive as possible, not to get in the way, not to hinder anything. Another way of saying it is that love is proactive and respect is preventative. And in that regard, it's very clear why we say that generally speaking love is expressed through do's and respect is expressed by don'ts. It's very clear because when I'm being proactive in my relationship I'm doing the do's. What can I do for you in order to connect to you? But when I'm expressing respect Really, it's more preventative. How can I preserve the relationship? How can I make sure not to damage it? What, what, what do I have to be careful not to do in order not to impede or infringe on what we have here? And therefore, it's generally expressed as the don'ts, the limits, the boundaries. Now, as I said earlier, the question here in chapter 41, as we're about to launch on into 10 chapters on love and awe, it first prioritizes which of these two emotions is more important. Or I should say, which is more foundational. Not more important. I'm not sure which is more important. But which is more foundational. 
foundational meaning a prerequisite for the other. I don't know which is more important, but one of them has to come before the other, or the other lacks value. So let's talk about this in terms of human relationships. This is not at all how the Alta Rebbe speaks about it in chapter 41, and I don't want to take you too far astray with my metaphors. However, I, I think it's important to try to understand the difference between love and respect, and why the Alta Rebbe is going to conclude which one is more, more foundational than the other. So allow me a little liberty, a little uh, latitude here. This is not what it says in chapter 41, but here's some practical application. <coughs> Imagine that a man, and why is it a man here? Because that's what I relate to. It's easier for me to make up that scenario. A man comes home three hours late for dinner without calling or texting, but he has a dozen flowers, roses, red roses, because he knows that his wife likes red roses. Does she feel loved? Is she being spiteful? Is she refusing? to be touched by this gesture simply because she's bothered by his being inconsiderate? Or is there something more fundamental than that that's not allowing the gesture to feel loving? The respect is missing. The respect is missing because not showing up and not even communicating with someone that you're not going to be showing up when you are expected to show up is a lack of self-containment. Whatever it was that he was doing, even if it wasn't something trivial, or frivolous, even if it was something important. But the lack of self-containment is a lack of respect. Whenever a boundary is not adhered to, that's a lack of respect. So he comes through the door with the dozen roses, red roses, because he knows that's what she likes. In fact, let me tell you more about this scenario. He bought the roses at, at his lunch break when he saw a street merchant selling them and he remembered how much his wife enjoys red roses. He's that type of a sensitive romantic husband. He knows which color flowers and which kind of flowers his wife likes and he bought them at 12 p.m. He loves her. He thinks of her, he cares for her, and he does things for her. <clears throat> the problem is, when it came time that he was supposed to head home, other, other stuff came up. And he didn't manage to get home. And he didn't even think 
in, in the course of those three hours to call or to text. It's not that the roses aren't love. They are. It's that when there's no respect, it's all but impossible for one to feel loved through an expression of love. If there are no boundaries, how is it even safe to receive love? How about you start by, uh, by, 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 by being careful about the don'ts of the relationship, the self-containment, and then when I see that it's safe, I will feel, I will automatically feel loved by the acts of love. So let's, let's bring it over to our relationship with Hashem. You know, I remember growing up, a certain type of old man who, I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but a certain type of old man that would come to shul and daven really, really well, at least from a technical perspective, these were the super daveners, the people who really knew the ins and outs of the davening. And it was clear that this was something that for them was more enjoyable than a teenager at a rock concert. This was their fun. They liked this, for whatever reason. Maybe there was nostalgia. And yet, this type of old man would come to shul, daven with exuberance and zeal, and then get in the car, and if they were retired, drive to the golf course, if they were not retired, go down to the shop or the place of business. And there was no contradiction whatsoever. Now, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not judging such people. I'm not judging anybody. That's not the point of the example. It's not the point of the example. The point of the example is to make one idea very clear. Hopefully in a way that each one of us can see in ourselves how we do the same exact thing. And that idea is that it's far easier to do than to not do. Doing is fun. Doing is self-expression. Not doing takes maturity, it takes humility, it takes patience and restraint. So someone who says, I will do 
everything my beloved wants me to do. But I cannot be bothered or inconvenienced to withhold from doing anything that they don't want me to do. That is love without respect. And love without respect not only lacks respect, but it, it lacks love as well. Like in the example of the husband who's three hours late for dinner without calling or texting, but he has a dozen red roses. The red roses may be a gesture of love, but she can't accept that and she can't feel that or embrace that because of the lack of respect. <clears throat> Obviously, what's the ideal? Come home on time with roses. But let's... That's, that, that doesn't teach us anything. When we want to figure out how to prioritize one idea over the other, we have to create a dilemma in which it's either or. So let's ask ourselves, which is a healthier relationship? He's indiscriminately late all the time without communicating, but he brings her thoughtful gifts or he is reliable, he's dependable, and uh, he doesn't bring her flowers or chocolates or stuffed animals or anything cute. Yes, the ideal is both, but which is a healthier relationship? The first relationship is love without respect. The second is respect without love. The truth is, in the love without respect relationship, it's also without love. Because effectively, the love does not work when there is no respect, when there are no boundaries. I remember once I was struck by something I saw in one of my one of my father's books. My father had uh, a, a library at home when I was growing up, a whole psychological library. So once in a while, I would, more than once in a while, I would take a look at the books. And I remember one thing that struck me. I believe it was in, um, in Games People Play by Eric Byrne, which was one of my father's uh, favorites. And... Uh, but uh, Eric Byrne there, you know, he's the father of trans transactional analysis. He has this, he, very briefly, <coughs> the way he explains concepts is through uh, hypothetical scenarios or, or interactions. So I just remember this one example he had there of the hippie boy says to the hippie girl, He's writing in the 60s. So he says, the hippie boy says to the hippie girl, do you love me? And she says, I love everybody. So perhaps she does love him, but there are no boundaries, there's no containment. And therefore, that answer really isn't the answer that he was looking for. It doesn't really mean anything. 
So this is what we start off with in chapter 41. We say like this. Yiro, whether you want to translate it awe or you want to translate it respect, I prefer to translate it respect, is more foundational than love. We have to have respect in our relationship with Hashem before all else. That must be the first emotional building block. And even though primarily respect is reflected in, in, in what you don't do, and love is reflected in what you do do, because of the fundamental importance of respect, even the doing has to be based on respect. <clears throat> How is doing based on respect? Respect is I want to stay out of the way so that I don't damage what we have. Well, how do you reflect that by doing something? So, you might say it's I want to do what needs to be done so that it doesn't damage what we have. Respect is I don't want to cause damage. Love is I want to improve it. I want to build on it. I want to add to it. Respect is, I just want to not ruin it. By the way, we, we, this should be obvious, but which one is more humble? The awe. The awe, because I'm in awe of this thing. I don't even know how to improve on it. If only I could just cherish it and keep it intact. So there's a great deal of humility in the not doing. We're supposed to carry that humility over even into the doing. That is the sense of reverence and awe that there is in a relationship. And by the way, when it comes to a human relationship, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're in awe of this person. But it means, for instance, in a marriage, we're in awe of the relationship. The fact that Hashem puts <coughs> opposite people together and is able to somehow have that be the basis for continuing our, our not just our species biologically, but that the family unit is the basis for the continuation of, of our holy tradition, that's, that's, that's nothing short of a miracle. And so we're in awe of the relationship, and we would never want to do anything to damage it. That's respect. So to in our relationship with Hashem, except with Hashem, we are actually in awe of Hashem. Or, like I said, at least we respect Hashem. Which means we would never want to do anything unseemly. We would never want to do anything that would be disruptive or get in his way or disturb him. What about doing all the things that he likes? Yes, that's nice too. But first let's make sure that we're very solid in the area of respect. 
let's make sure that we're going to be very careful not to do anything that would damage the relationship, which primarily is reflected in the don'ts, but we can carry that attitude even over into the do's. Okay. So having established that, that the don'ts and the do's are respect and love, and yet even when it comes to the do's, there must be a modicum of respect. We then talk about how to develop this respect. How do we meditate on yira? Awe, reverence, respect. However you want to call it. Like I said, there are ten chapters here, 41 through 50. And we will talk about how to meditate on love. But first, we want to make sure we know how to muster up some feelings of respect. He tells us to think about the following. Hashem permeates all existence. He runs through everything. He is the fabric of all being. At the same time, he transcends and encompasses everything. He cannot be contained within creation. Right? So he's both imminent and transcendent, what we call mamale and soifev, filling and encompassing. We're just thinking about this right now, okay? Just think about, we have two, two items right now that are complementary. He fills all worlds, memale kolalmin, and he encompasses all worlds, sevev kolalmin. He is both imminent and transcendent. He's in everything, and he surrounds everything simultaneously. And everything in, in relation to him is nothing. It's not that he is a million times greater, or a billion times greater, or a trillion times greater. Creation is insignificant in relation to his infinity. We're going step by step. <clears throat> and yet, even as he permeates all existence and surrounds all existence, and is incomparably greater than all of existence. He has chosen to focus his kingship, his authority, on the Jewish people. He has chosen to want something from us. 
You see the 180 flip there? The contrast? He has chosen to be an authority over the Jewish people. And more specifically, he has chosen to be an authority over you and to focus his kingship on you personally, take it personally. So, let me just pause for a second in the midst of our meditation. Can you see, even if you're not feeling it yet, but cognitively, can you start to see the trajectory of whether we're headed toward love or awe? It's one or the other. You said we're heading towards law. I did say we're heading towards right, law. So, so. But, it could, but uh, if we didn't know, we could think that. If law. you didn't, yeah, if you didn't know, yeah. If you said, if you gave him a shalom marriage, like you didn't really, if you love yeah. the person, you respect, like marriage, you respect that Hashem put two people together who you know, wouldn't fit together, build a Jewish home. So I think it's respect because everybody's nothing in relation to Hashem, but Hashem, we can respect that Hashem shows us. The, the, the idea here is that first of all, get it through your head how great Hashem is. Hashem is not great like a million is greater than one. Hashem is great in all types of ways that are beyond categorization. So we start with a paradox. And both sides of this paradox are both mind-blowing, and then you put them, to, put them together and it's mind-blowing squared. He permeates all existence. He transcends all existence. That's a paradox. And both sides of that paradox are mind-blowing. But you got to really focus. These aren't just words. These are ideas. If you have to close your eyes, close your eyes. There's no rule about it, but whatever you have to do to envision this idea. Think of whatever you can imagine as creation, the vastness of the universe, and beyond, because we're also including spiritual universes, which are just as complex as the physical. And he is present within all of that. He's there. Simultaneously, he is transcendent of all of that. He cannot be contained within it. And then furthermore, all of that is nothing compared to him. Not like a sand, a grain of sand on, 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 on the beach. No, because that has some proportion to the beach or a drop of water in the ocean. The drop of water has some proportion. There's some number for how much greater the ocean is than the drop of water. He is infinitely, incomparably greater than all of creation. 
as vast as it is. We're clearly headed toward awe. And then we intensify that awe by making it personal and saying, and all of that, that unfathomable greatness has focused itself on you. Well, we do it in stages. First of all, focused on the Jewish people for a unique relationship, and then focused on the individual Jew. V'hine Hashem Nitzavalov. Behold, Hashem is standing over you. He's standing over you. What's your operational definition of awe here? The operational definition of awe is that it makes you smaller. So then you're heading towards awe. So then I'm heading towards awe, that's right. V'hine Hashem olav. Hashem is standing over him. You, standing over you. At the same time that the entire world is full of his glory. So the whole world's full of his glory, and yet he's standing over you. Umabit Allah, he is staring at you. And he's searching your kidneys and your heart. Yeah, kidneys, yeah. Kidneys. Kidneys. If your heart can be an emotional organ, your kidneys can be emotional organs as well. He's searching your kidneys and your heart. That means your inner parts where your emotions come from. He's not just watching your actions. He's watching your feelings. X-ray vision. If you are serving him as is fitting. You tell me. If we will meditate on that. Love or awe. That's all. By the way, this is one of the 12 psukim. I think we mentioned in chapter 33 that two of the 12 psukim were in chapter 33. The Rebbe chose 12 verses from uh, Torah and from uh, Talmud and from Tanya, which are uh, supposed to be known by children as being foundational ideas. And this is one of those 12. Hashem is standing over you. Hashem is standing over you. And his glory fills the entire world. Umabit Allah, he is staring at you. And he is searching your kidneys and your heart. 
im oivdei karai, to see if you are serving him as is fitting. That is an awe meditation. When you will think about this with the precursor of, he fills all worlds, and he transcends all worlds, and he is incomparably greater than all the worlds. And nevertheless, he's so focused on you. That track of meditation will lead you to awe. And the Alter Rebbe discusses, fear is a type of awe. You can call it, I gave, I gave us many optional words, fear, reverence, respect. They're all different stripes of yira. What they all have in common is self-containment. What they all have in common is I feel my own insignificance. Bittel would be a Hasidic term for it, yes. Getting out of the way. Then why are you created if your purpose is to get out of the way? I can give you two answers. One answer is maybe the whole purpose of your creation is to achieve the paradox of being something that can get in the way and doesn't permit itself to do so. That's one answer. That if you don't exist and you're not in the way, what's the big deal? But if you do exist and you're conscious of your existence, sentient ego, and yet you can exercise choice to not interrupt and not disturb, then that's already uh, an accomplishment. That's one answer I'd give you. The other answer I could give you is, I didn't say we, we only need awe. I said we need to first have awe. And in fact, this chapter does get into the fact that we can't only have awe, we need to also have love. Let me try to sum up the rest of this chapter very, very briefly. Um, first of all, before I get into the love, I just want to talk about a little bit more about the awe. The Altarabit makes this awe as accessible as possible to us. In other words, we know from Tanya that when it comes to behavior, the Alter Rebbe raises the bar very high. He expects behavioral perfection. When it comes to emotions, we understand the fact that we're imperfect. So even though this is the emotional part of Tanya, which is funny because the whole Tanya we're emphasizing, the Benini just focuses on behavior, don't worry about the emotions. Now 41 through 50 is all about emotions. And yet even within the chapters that focus on emotion, we try to make it as accessible as possible. So the Alter Rebbe says, you want to know what the bar is or where the bar is for awe? He says, it's like Rabbi Yechenim and Zakkai said to his students. He said, you should be as afraid of God as you are of people. And they were surprised. They said, that, that, that sounds like you're cheapening the relationship with God. He said, no, not at, not at all. When people do something improper. They look around, make sure nobody can see them. 
but it doesn't bother them that God sees them. So I would hope that you would just be as afraid of God as you are of people, meaning just a little self-consciousness, you know? Like, you're standing in the fridge with the pot of soup, eating straight from the pot, standing in the fridge, and somebody walks in your house. I wasn't doing anything, nothing, nothing to see here, you know? You put that, you slam that fridge door so fast. Because it's unseemly. It's not a sin. But you're self-conscious. You're, you don't want to look like a, like a schlub. And yet, in front of Hashem, we're a lot more casual. So, the al says, the awe that we're talking about here, at the very least, just a certain comportment, you know, where you're conscious of your behaviors because somebody's looking at you. That's it. That's, that's all we're talking about. I mean, obviously, there can be more. But that, that's really, the minimum is just be aware of your behavior. Somebody's looking at you. Now, like I said, the chapter doesn't end with awe. It makes two more points. One more point is that you can't only have awe. You've got to have love. It emphasizes that first there has to be awe. And it says that without awe, it is not considered avoida. Avoida, the service of Hashem, is avoida's avid, the service of a servant. And a servant serves out of awe, or reverence, or fear, or respect, not out of love. A son serves out of love. But first, be a servant. Then work on feeling like a son. First be a servant. First get down. Yira. Then we will go to Ava. Okay, so that's the second point in the chapter. That first is Yira and then is Ava. But the point is that Ava does follow Yira. It's not that there's only Yira, it's just that it has to come first. It has to be the basis for the relationship. Then develop the love. And we're not going to talk about how to develop the love specifically here because we have nine more chapters that are going to talk about all different types of awe and love. And we're going to talk about many different types and categories of love and how to generate those. But for now, he just mentions that it's important to have love. And then the, th- the third point, the final point, final main point of chapter 41 is the idea of lishma, doing something for its own sake, doing something altruistically. It's interesting because if you remember chapter 10, remember back when we learned about the tzaddik in chapter 10 and we spoke about how there's the lower kind of tzaddik called the tzaddik v'raloi and then the higher kind of a tzaddik called the tzaddik v'toivloi and we said that the tzaddik v'toivloi is also called uh, b'nei aliyah and we gave two explanations why they're called b'nei aliyah 
men of ascent. One reason is because that they do everything for the sake of the Most High. They don't pursue the service of God as a path to spiritual fulfillment. They do it to give fulfillment to Hashem. The second reason they're called Benalia is because they're always looking how to elevate the mundane into the holy, to give an ascent to everything of this world, to lift it up through employing it in the service of Hashem, and thereby transforming its spiritual character from mundane to holy. And the Alter Rebbe says, really, these two explanations are one and the same, because what does it mean to serve Hashem for Hashem's sake? It means to grant Him this dwelling place in this world through transforming the mundane into the holy. And it described that as being the modus operandi of the B'nai Aliyah, meaning not just of tzaddikim, but the higher order of tzaddikim. Well, here in chapter 41, he brings this idea into the world of the Benini. And he says that a Benini also has to serve Hashem for Hashem's sake. A Benini also has to have in mind that this is not for my spiritual fulfillment. This is to grant fulfillment to God. And he gives an example. He says, for instance, when a scribe has to write a document of divorce, a get. So it has to be written l'shma. L'shma, l'shma. It has to be written, you can't just be that the cipher says, oh, I happen to have a pre-written get that has these names. It has to be written with the intent for these people. So how does Torah define halachically, what does it mean that something was done for express intent of these people? I mean, mentally, how arduous is that to, to, to write it and have in mind? How, how do you define having it in mind? So it explains at the beginning and the end. So he says, for instance, when you learn Torah, ideally you would have in mind all the time that you're doing this for Hashem. You're not doing this because you enjoy it. You're not even doing it because it's meaningful. You're doing it for Hashem, to benefit Hashem. But at the very least, you have in mind at the beginning and the end of the study session. And he says, by the way, if you study for multiple hours, then at least once an hour you should have it in mind because every hour the combinations of letters of Hashem's names which enliven the universe change and all of the positive deeds that were done in the previous hour go back to their source in heaven and now there's a new source of energy in the world and so each hour you have to have this in mind again when the Alter Rebbe was in prison one of the methods of uh, psychological uh, torture they employed was putting him in a room where there were no windows and he couldn't see daylight and there was no clock and uh, they used to serve him meals at irregular times and they found him once davening chakras and they told him why are you davening chakras it's uh, it's evening and he said no I know what time it is how did he know what time it is 
So there's a tradition that just like the Altarim mentions here in chapter 41, that every hour there are different unique energies because of the permutations of the four-letter, the two four-letter names. There's the Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud at night, and there's the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He in the daytime, and every hour is a different permutation of these names, different energy in the world. The Al-Tadeba was sensitive to those energies, so he knew exactly what time it is. At any rate, each hour, if you're studying Torah for many consecutive hours, at least once an hour, you should have in mind that I'm doing this for Hashem's sake. Okay, at any rate, let's sum up very quickly chapter 41. We're now going to be speaking about love and awe for the next 10 chapters. Which emotion do we have to get first? Awe. Okay. However, it's not enough to only have awe. Then you got to get the love. And additionally, one more point is that your motive for serving Hashem should be altruistic. It should be for Hashem's sake, not for your own. Okay? And now, for the next nine chapters, we're going to talk about all different types and flavors of love and of awe and the different meditations that bring them about. Okay? Let's, uh, I'm, I'm really late, so let's just officially end here, and I won't run away if anyone wants to continue the conversation.